I would like to talk to you this morning about how to feed a multitude. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> to a young boy, this excitement was too much to resist. So many people, more than he'd seen in one place ever, coming from every direction, all moving with a hasty gait toward the hillside. Abandoning any thought of chores for the day, the young lad takes his meager sack lunch and hurries to discover the source of the excitement for himself. The crowd has its own gravity. There's a pull, a shared longing that compels them to squeeze together while, while making room still for the hurting or the weak to pass through. The young boy's nostrils catch new smells, perfumes and, and oils worn by those wealthier than he and yet also ragged and soiled garments clutched by others. So many people. So many sounds, laughter and questions and stories and fantastic stories of a man who has done what no one can do. It's difficult to hear everything that is said because so many people are saying so much, over-talking one another, and, 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 and the, but the boy can hear tales of, of miracles, of healing, of signs and, and, and wonders an eager enthusiasm whirls everywhere. They're talking about a prophet from Nazareth. He is the epicenter of this crowd quake. Now, nearing the summit of the hillside, the young boy's size enables him to draw near without notice. In fact, Almost no one notices him, but the eye of the prophet catches the boy's eyes, and at once he feels safe and loved, and he forgets, almost forgets, the multitude around him. Before long, the boy overhears a, a conversation about about doing something impossible, as if the impossible hadn't already been seen, the prophet wants to feed the multitude. It can't be done, one man says. It'll cost too much, says another. No one has an answer to the prophet's question. Where will we get bread for these hungry people? The young boy feels his hand clench his small lunch sack of loaves and fish, five barley leaves, five barley loaves. I don't know what a leaf is. Five barley loaves. And the barley loaves, the barley, barley is the bread of the poor. It is disdained bread. Barley, they said, is only fit for beasts. And the little dried fish, no more than a a garnish to make the bread more palatable. And this is all he had. 
The boy hesitated, partly due to his embarrassment over his meager meal and partly due to the rumbling in his own tummy. But slowly he stood and walked over to one of the men and could only muster the words, Sir, as he stretched out his hand to offer his lunch to the prophet. Now, the man tried to be kind, at least he seemed he did. He accepted the little sack lunch, but with frustration in his voice, he turned to the prophet, showing him the sack, and said, What good will this do? What good would it do? What good would it do? More than almost anyone could imagine. You know how to feed a multitude? Just lend Jesus your lunch. All he needs is all you've got. Look with me in John chapter 6. Let's read the passage from the NIV. John chapter 6 beginning at verse 1. Sometime later after this, Jesus crossed over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had been performing, he had performed by healing the sick. When Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up, he he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, about 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. It was a miracle for a multitude. In verses one and two, John tells us that a that a crowd followed Jesus because they saw the signs he did for the sick. The grammar here is more powerful than it is at first glance. I like the NIV. It reads well. It communicates well. It's very accurate. But in, like all languages, when you translate them, sometimes the, the nuance of the original, especially the author's uh, language, can lose some of the texture and significance sometimes. It's perfectly accurate in the English, but in the original, the verbs are a little more awkward and a little more strong. The grammar here is it's it's all all the verbs are in the imperfect, which means they all are expressing continuous activity. So it sounds like this: great crowds kept following Jesus. 
continually observing the signs that Jesus regularly performed on the sick. Great crowds of people kept following Jesus. People followed Jesus because people wanted to be healed. And they still do. People followed Jesus because they wanted to see people get healed. And they still do. And people followed Jesus because Jesus was healing the sick. And he still does. Verses 3 through 6, Jesus takes his disciples up on a hillside apparently to rest and to sit a little bit. But in no time at all, the multitudes find them. And the multitudes have multiplied. Considering that Passover was approaching, which meant a surge in the number of travelers toward Jerusalem, this crowd may have very well swelled in quite a hurry. Later, John will mention that there were 5,000 men, but we know that this was not a men's retreat. So there were very likely spouses and children. It would not do damage to the text to say, well, this crowd could have been two or three or four or more times larger than 5,000. Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee by boat, but these crowds would have walked for many, many hours around the lake to reach him. It's funny how real and raw Jesus, people will find him. People are hungry for Jesus. He may offend some of the crowd, but they're hungry for a healing, need-meeting Jesus. Let our witness be of the raw and real Jesus. In verse 5, Jesus tells us, Jesus looks up and he sees this crowd coming, this great crowd, this multitude coming toward him (laughs) with expectation in their eyes. And how he responds is beautiful and a little bit bewildering. He turns to his associate pastor and says, hey, let's feed these folk. How are we going to do it? I love this about Jesus. Thousands of needy people are approaching, and Jesus sees an opportunity to do something good. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by what you saw coming? What I might see as a problem, what even might make me want to panic, Jesus sees as a possibility. Jesus literally says to his disciple, Oh, look, here comes the impossible. Let's do something about it. He says the same thing. I believe that Jesus says the same thing to you and to me and to this house today. Look out at the impossible and let's do something about it. That's the, that is the core of even this evening's, this evening's great festivity. Our big fish fry begins in the heart, not even of Ed Vickers, but in his parents. Why? Because in Alabama, they knew that their, their neighbors were hungry. Ed's parents knew that the neighbors were hungry and the kids were hungry. And so they, they did a fish fry for the express purpose of just feeding those who were hungry. And they weren't people of means by any means. But they looked out at something that needed done. 
and said, let's do something about it. Jesus continues to call his church to look out at the impossible, to partner with him and do something, do something. He says it to Mrs. Daff and her heart for the oppressed and the tormented and the, and, and the overwhelmed, calling them in, letting them make appointments to sit with people for a little over an hour at a time and just walk through prayer and repentance and forgiveness, finding real freedom and finding real healing in the Transformation Center. Says it to Pastor Jess, and I don't think he has to talk her into it very much. Can't keep up with her. Jess, look out. There's hurting women and hurting families and babies and children. And Pastor Jess, and he says, let's do something about it. And so we have ministries to children. We have ministries to moms. We have parents night out. And now she's partnering with another organization in our Kelso campus to launch a free store where, where a good quarter of the entire building will be opened up and there will be clothes and food and diapers and seats and anything moms need. And it's all for free. Let's do something about it. And he says the same thing to all of us. There are 400,000 people within arm's reach. 400,000 people just within arm's reach. We don't have to go very far. Jesus sees the hurt. He sees the anger. He sees the pain. He sees people living less than lives. He sees image bearers living as paupers and orphans. And says, let's do something about it. There are children who need to feel safe and feel loved. He sees a whole region that needs healing and hope and who are hungry. And he says to us, look out at the impossible. Let's do something about it. In verses 7 through 9, Jesus' disciples respond. Philip answers and says, you know, it's going to cost too much to solve this problem. Philip quickly estimates that it would cost nearly eight months' wages to buy enough bread for everyone to have a little bite. I don't think that Philip was being exactly literal. I don't think he could do that kind of math. As a matter of fact, I don't think eight months' wages would have given that entire multitude a bite. Philip's, like many of us, our first reaction to what looks huge may be to worry about what it might cost. And there's nothing wrong with counting and measuring. God started that. It isn't math. Philip's problem isn't his math. It's his faith. He sees the same impossibility that Jesus does, but he isn't connecting to the same source that Jesus is. The answer to the problem is not in our pockets. It is in our hearts. And we'll see it's in our hands. Now we return to the little boy clenching his little brown bag. He hears the discussion between the smiling Jesus and the chagrined Philip. His eyes meet Andrew's, and he stretches out his hand to lend Jesus his lunch. Five barley loaves, two small fish, and Andrew, perhaps in a desperate attempt to persuade Jesus to abandon the idea of feeding a small city, Shows him the bag and asks him a question he really wasn't prepared to hear the answer to. What is this a 
so many. This is all we have, but what good will it do? What good will it do? And there is the question, the feet of which dies many miracles. Many miracles die on the feet of the question, but what good would it do to try? Many dreams are surrendered at that question. Many needs go unmet at that question. And the glory of God is too often forfeit at that question. What good would it do? How much can I really accomplish? What will my resources do? What will my talents do? What will my energy do? Do you know who I am? Do you know my background? What difference could I make? And why waste what little we have. What good will it do? Lend Jesus your lunch and find out. Because all he needs is all you've got. All he needs is all you've got. Then Jesus finally answers his disciples. He answers them. They say it'll cost too much, and what good will it do? And how does he answer? As if they didn't say it at all. He rarely answers our questions of protest or unbelief. He rarely attends our pity parties. He never helps us clean up after. Unmoved, Jesus says this. Have the people sit down. Yeah, mama does the same thing to me. <laughs> Some of you might wonder, why is that guy so odd? <laughs> Raised by the best. This is such a powerful image to me. It's like Jesus and all of this, and all of this. Here's this multitude, little brown bag, doubting disciples, scared people, little boy. And what Jesus says is, get ready. How, did, how is any of that a recipe for success? It's not. But Jesus says, get ready. Nobody say, get ready. He wasn't, he sit, held it to tell them to sit down to eat. He wasn't telling them to take a load off or to chill out or to wait. He was telling them to sit down for supper. He was literally telling them to assume a posture of expectation. In all of John's signs, there are seven signs in the book of John. And each of them, in each of them, the miracle at work uh, hinges, pivots on a command of Jesus. Some, nothing happened. Look, because he said, fill the water, fill these water jars with, with, fill these with water. Fill these with water, and they fill them to the brim. Go, your son lives. In every, Lazarus, come forth. In every one of them, there's a command that hinges on, upon which the miracle hinges. And if people can say amen all day long, but nothing happens till somebody obeys Jesus. Nothing happens till somebody just obeys Jesus. Good word, Jesus. Nothing happened. Obey Jesus. Something happened. What's the command here? What is the central command in this sign? The, Jesus didn't command the boy to surrender his lunch. He didn't command his disciples to go buy bread. What was the command? 
get ready. <laughs> the command was, get ready to eat. Come hungry. Somebody say, come hungry. And Jesus took the loaves and the fish and he gave thanks. And he had his disciples distribute it to those who were sitting down. And the disciples, wait, wait, did you hear that? He took the loaves and the fish. He took this meager lunch, looked out at a multitude, and what did he do? He gave thanks. He gave thanks. Now, I know if you, if you know a little bit about Bible and history, you might say, nah, don't make a big deal about that. That was Jewish custom. Before they ate, they always, you know, gave thanks to the God of the universe. And, you know, I watched the chosen dab. Yeah, you know, I watched it too. I know it was tradition, but look at it anyway. He has, what does he have in his hands? Not nearly enough. What is in front of him? Way too much. And what was in his mouth? He gave thanks. What's you, what, too often, what's in our mouth? Murmur. Complain. Worry, grumble. Well, I told him this was a bad idea. I didn't. I don't think we can do that. Talking to some, you know. And after we tell ourselves, who's the next? We tell somebody else. As soon as we tell ourselves it's a bad idea, we look for someone to listen to us. For me to tell them, you know, I think it's a bad idea. I think he's out of his mind. I think he's out. Of, he's out of his mind. What he is. So there's a bunch of people going. And here's Jesus going, Father, I thank you. <laughs> you know, gratitude will just change everything. Oh, how come, Jesus, how come we can't see what you see? Because you're not thankful. <laughs> and he gave thanks, and he broke it. He said, all right, feed him. And the NIV says, they... Uh, he fed them until they had had enough to eat. And that's sweet. Thank you, NIV, for making it easy to read. I love the NIV. But that's, not ac- that's, that's true, but it's not accurate. The word, the, the, what John said, and John is very deliberate. My buddy Matt loves John. Loves John. John is John layers and layers. It's a labyrinth of meaning and joy in John. John, he didn't, he didn't say they had enough to eat. He said filled. And not filled like even Luke would use filled. He used a certain kind of filled. And he used a, where Dave? Dave here. He used the, this is the kind of filled that you use when you want to fatten the cattle. He didn't say, he did, they, they didn't eat until they were all, until they were politely full. Oh, that's sufficient. I've had enough. Why, thank you. That's enough for me. Kind of what, counting the old calories. No, no. The word is they ate until they were stuffed. They ate until, here's, here's what it's, it, it, then I'm going to write Zondervan, and they'll say, thank you, Dr. Davenport, please stop writing us. Uh, it, say, instead of saying they ate until they had enough, they ate until they could not eat anymore. They ate until they couldn't eat. Even Dav, yeah, even Dav in the back is like, oh, no, no, no more. Well, no, that's how full they were. And Matt, the joy, 
This is the same book where Jesus says he came to give us his joy. And I see it right here. They ate until their, their, they ate until their joy was full. They ate until they were stuffed. And then he says, now pick up what's left over. We don't want to waste anything. And they picked up 12 baskets. What is the answer to what good will this do? The answer is more than enough with more left over. There wasn't enough to start, but there was more than enough left over. What good will this do? More than you can imagine. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that all times in every way, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. How does this challenge our faith? I think it asks us a couple of questions. What miracles are missed because we have sent the crowd away. What miracles are missed, perhaps more often, because I have clung to my little lunch out of fear of lack or fear of loss, out of embarrassment or even out of unbelief. Maybe I have asked, what good will this do? Among so much. What good can I do? What good is what I have? I'm just the youngest kid from 43rd Street with blue shag carpet. Never, I never, never picked first for any team. What good could I do? What good can one church do? What good can one church do amongst the most unchurched region in the United States? What good can one church do with hundreds of thousands of people who are broken and lost and kind of ticked? What good can we do? Lend Jesus your lunch and find out. How does this help our faith? It helps us to helps our faith because when it comes to the impossible, we find out that lending Jesus your lunch is more than enough. We find out that Jesus is not miserly. He's not measuring out little little bites of grace. He's not interested for everyone just to have a little bite of grace. He wants to pour out the grace of God in such a way to stuff, to overstuff, to more than meet the need of everyone in this region. If we will lend Jesus our lunch, he will do the impossible. Jesus can do anything with your something. The whole world is afraid of your nation. Can they understand me okay? The whole world is afraid of your nation. Don't turn the camera. The whole world is afraid of your nation. But God, our Lord Jesus, looks out across that vast landscape and says, look at the impossible. Let's do something about it. I bless the anointing on your lives. I bless the anointing and call of God on your lives and your brothers and your sisters. May you have lion-hearted faith.
ました All he needs is all you Let's look out at the impossible. Let's look at the impossible with Jesus. And let's do something about it. Can we stand together? That's a good time to give the Lord thanks. Come on, let's just give the Lord thanks. Let's just start with it. Whoever we are, whatever we got, Lord, we give you thanks. Thank you for what's in our hands. Thank you for what's in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are and all that you do. We give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks. We give you thanks. We give you thanks. Lord, we look out at the multitude in our region. And we call them to come home. That's it. We call to the north and call to the south, come home. Yeah. We call to the east and call to the west, it's time to come home. Come on. The Father is waiting, anticipating your return. Yeah. All the sons and the daughters, those who have wandered, it's time to come home. Sing it again. We call to the north and call to the south, come home. Call to the east and call to the west. It's time to come home. Father, the Father's waiting, anticipating your return. All the sons and the daughters, those who have wandered, it's time to come home. The Father has given everything to pay your way home. It doesn't matter how far you Grace is still right here at home. There will be a celebration when you return. Yeah. No need to wait any longer. It's time to come home. Time to come home. It's time to come home. Time to come home. partner with the voice of heaven, we invite, Lord, in the name of Jesus, the multitudes to come and experience raw, real Jesus. And we know, Lord, that as we offer whatever's in our hearts and hands to you, you will make it more than enough. For this, Lord, we give you thanks and praise. Somebody said amen. Amen. Friends, if you'd like someone to pray with you or for you, we've got folks who will meet you down here in front to pray. Otherwise, the Lord bless you. See you tonight. Be kind to somebody. Get ready, get ready.